Have any of you ever gone to the DMV and, and stood in line for a, a little bit? Just, just, just a little bit. Um, so after spending about three and a half hours um, in a, a long line uh, with rude employees and um, uh, just insane regulations, uh, this particular man uh, left the DMV. He stopped by the toy store because he was told by his wife to pick up a gift for his son before coming home. So he went through the aisles, made his selection, and it was a baseball bat. So he went to the cash register to the clerk to pay for it, and she said in a very sweet voice, cash or credit? And he lashed back at her, and he said, cash! And then he realized that he had been disrespectful and harsh, and he apologized. He said, I am so sorry. He said, I just spent half of my day at the DMV. And in a nice, sweet voice, she said, shall I wrap the bat, or do you plan to go back to the DMV? <laughs> We, um, we all get angry at times. We find things that um, upset us, and sometimes those things that upset us, uh, situations, people, uh, sometimes just, um, well, it's a part of life, but we get angry. Now, the Bible does not tell us not to get angry. It, it doesn't. I mean, if you read Ephesians 4.26... It says, be angry. Great. Be angry, right? Oh, it, there, the rest of the verse says, but yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So it's, it doesn't say you can't get angry. It says that you need to take care of your anger. Do not sin. And so we're going to talk over the next four weeks, these four Sundays uh, in February, uh, about the heart. Because anger is a matter of the heart. And these next six sections in Matthew's gospel, as he records, as he is inspired to, to give us an understanding of what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, these next sections, there's six of them, are personal relationships, how we deal with others. Now, I'm going to do it in four instead of six because I'm going to combine a couple of them. And, um, and we're going to talk about this matter of the heart. So you'll see uh, this title, and for the next uh, three Sundays coming, it'll be part two, three, and four of that. We know that how we deal with anger um, creates consequences. Uh, if we are angry with someone and do not take care of it, it's going to affect us. It's going to affect others. I am pretty positive, um, at least this is my opinion, that Jesus, as he's teaching on the side of the mountain, um, and as he probably has already gotten, at least from some of those, uh, even his followers, but especially those who heard he was teaching and came out to hear him, and uh, probably the scribes and the Pharisees, um, gave him some inquisitive looks as, as he was teaching. And... There's two things that, that I want to remind you of before we get into this text. The, the first is this, 
these sections that we're going to look at the next four weeks, they begin with, and you heard it say, or said, and then Jesus says, but I say to you, and I said two weeks ago, Jesus was not trying to do away with the Old Testament scripture. He was not trying to uh, jettison that in any way. He's not replacing the scripture. In fact, he says, I came to fulfill it, not to abolish it. So keep that in mind as you hear this over the next four Sundays, Jesus saying these things, he came to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill the scriptures. And then secondly, we need to understand that Jesus is picking up in verse 21 that we're beginning this, this passage today with. He is, he is picking up from what he has just said. You, you can't read this without knowing what verse 20 says says. In fact, all of these sections about relationships, about our heart, really go back to verse 20. For I say to you, it's not on the screen, but I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying your righteousness is important. And we need to keep that in mind as we look at these relationships as they move forward. So, if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're in Matthew 5. We'll pick up with verse 21 and read through verse 26. You have heard it said that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First to be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent of the law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and that you be thrown in prison, into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds this morning for what you would hold for us through this, your holy word. We pray this in your name. Amen. And, and so Jesus is talking here uh, about anger. And when we talk about anger, we have to say, well, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus get angry? Aren't, aren't there passages where Jesus got angry and most of us would probably point to the 
cleansing of the temple, you know, the money changers. Jesus being fully divine, we know that he is righteous and lives into that righteousness. He is also fully human, and, and he felt every stripe that beat his back. He, he felt every hurt. He got hungry. He got tired. He had those human attributes that we have just like us. He felt it all, and Jesus got angry. In Mark 3, it says, he looked around at them angrily. What's going on? And so this is what was happening in Mark 3. There was a man that had a withered hand, and it's the Sabbath, and Jesus is teaching, and the scribes and Pharisees are sitting in the corner, and they're watching everything that, that he would do and everything that he would say. And someone brings this man with the withered hand before Jesus, and it's like they're thinking, is he going to heal him? It's the Sabbath. What in the world is Jesus doing? They didn't say that, but certainly they were thinking it. Jesus knew what they were thinking. He knew their thoughts. And, and Mark tells us, he looked around at them angrily because he was so grieved with the hardness of their heart. They showed no compassion for the man. They felt like, okay, God told us, honor the seventh day and keep it holy. You shall not work. You shall not do this. You're manservant. You're maidservant. Everyone in your household is to honor God. And here the Son of God is about to heal this man because there is a need. And it says Jesus got angry at their lack of compassion. Because he was motivated by love. You go to Matthew 21 and we know that Jesus got angry in the temple. The, the money changers are there and, and people are buying and selling in his father's house. And, and he gets angry. And, and yes, he probably had some anger towards those that were, were working in the temple and, and those that were trying to uh, uh, make a living or even some that were exploiting others to make a living. But i got to believe that he was also still mad at the Pharisees and the, and the scribes for allowing this to happen in his father's house. It, it goes back to that verse 20. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And they allowed this to take place. And so, yes, he is angry at what is taking place in his father's house. My father's house is called a house of prayer. And he turns over the tables. In scripture, there are two definitions of this word anger or being angry. The first in Scripture is one that is explosive. Um, it's as if you get angry for an instant. Something happens and, and you just blow up, but it's short-lived. You don't stay in that moment. You take care of it. You deal with it and just move on. Now, certainly, even in that type of anger, that's short-lived, you need to take care of it and not uh, let it uh, continue, needs to be dealt with. But the word that's used here in this particular passage 
is a word in the Greek that means a slow boil. It means that it festers. It infects you. It causes an infection so that it's not short-lived, but it's almost as it swells up and distorts you in a way that you, you just want to live into it, and it's almost possessing you that this anger is so strong and, and so angry at whatever the situation or whomever you're dealing with. And Jesus says, you're not supposed to be that way. You're not supposed to live that way. You heard it say, uh, it was told that you do not commit murder. And certainly he is not saying that that is jettison, as I said, but he is saying, look, yes, it's wrong to murder, but everyone who is angry is guilty. Everyone who is angry is guilty, he said, before the court. And Jesus uses two phrases here that are, are interesting. Uh, he first says, don't say to your brother that you're good for nothing. And, and that translation in some of your translations, maybe the one that you're holding, says, do not call your brother an idiot. Now, my dad wouldn't let us use that word. Me and my sister, he, he, he just, you don't call people idiots. Um, in, in the scripture, um, the word is rasa, and, and it means to be empty or empty-minded. Um, and so that's where, or uh, you know, empty-headed uh, is another translation, another uh, uh, definition of that word in the Greek. And, and hence we get the word idiot someone that doesn't comprehend or understand and um, they are are empty in in themselves um, and so Jesus is saying don't call someone or say to your brother they're good for nothing don't dehumanize them don't think to yourself that they're not worth your time because they may not be as bright or knowledgeable or understanding that as you, it doesn't mean that you degrade them. Jesus said, you know, this is a matter of the heart. And then he says, and don't call someone a fool. Now, my dad used to use this thing. He, he, he would say, you call somebody a fool, you're going to hell. And I was thinking, wait a minute, God's already forgiven me. I'm but, yes, we're forgiven. We shouldn't call people fools. And he wouldn't let us use that word either. So idiot and fool were out of my vocabulary when I was growing up. Just couldn't say them um, because you would get in trouble. And when you get in trouble, you know, what happens? You get a whipping. In my, where I lived, you get a whipping. You won't get a whipping today, but you get a whipping when I was growing up. Um, Jesus is talking about um, our hearts and how we treat others and what we say to others and how we look at others. When we see someone and we devalue them, what we actually are saying in a way is, you're not made in the image of God. 
You see, the scripture says that we are all made in the image of God. It, it doesn't matter what color our skin is. It doesn't matter what nation we are from. It, it doesn't matter our background. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. It doesn't matter. We are born. We are created in the image of God. And when we look at someone and, and we devalue them, when we dehumanize them, when we say, no, because of how you live or the way you live your life or you're an atheist and, and, and you can't be in the image of God, we put these tags on them and Jesus says, you, you just can't do that. You don't do that. Now, Jesus is not saying that you do not stand on the standards of Scripture, that uh, you do not hold to the moral standards that, that he has. He is not saying that you accept sinful behavior. He is not saying that at all. But he is saying that we need to be careful of how we look at others. If we're part of the kingdom of God... We need to be committed to see God's view of people. Jesus, when asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, you love the Lord God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and body, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And the Lord wants us to have love in our heart for one another. Love your neighbor. And your neighbor may be someone that you don't get along with very well. Your neighbor may be someone in the cubicle next to you that has wronged you at work. Your neighbor may be someone that's in your family that you haven't spoken to in some time because there has been a rift in the family. It's a heart thing. It's a matter of the heart. And Jesus reminds us that if you let this foothold it's, it, it, into you, as, as anger will well up into you, that it will affect your heart, it will affect your relationship, it will affect how you deal with others, and it will affect how you deal with him. Because anger can become a spiritual warfare in your heart. If we don't deal with it, if we don't deal with the people or the situation, then we begin to look at things differently and havoc can rise up in our life. And so we need to be committed to look at others through God's eyes. Then secondly, in this passage, he reminds us that we are to be reconciled. He says if you're bring your offering to the altar and you remember that there is a situation that needs to be taken care of. Uh, if somebody has wronged you, and, and I would bet that Jesus would say, if you have wronged somebody, you've remembered that, he says, be reconciled. Go and reconcile to that person and then come and bring your offering to me. First John the fourth chapter, verses 7 and 12, read this way. Beloved, let your love, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And so we are called to love one another, to, to be a part of the love that, that spills out because we have the Holy Spirit that lives in us. I read an interesting quote this week from author and counselor uh, here on the East Coast, Paul Tripp. And, and Paul says, and I quote, If you want the litmus test for living your best, God-glorifying life right here, right now, don't look primarily at your theological knowledge, biblical literacy, or your church involvement. Although all of these things are very important, instead, you should examine the quality of of your relationships end quote wow if we want to see where we're standing with God we look at the quality of our relationships with others how many of us want to do that how we view people what we say to them how we see them around us? Are we motivated to make a difference if people are not like us? If someone has wronged you, are you motivated to reconcile? Jesus says, leave your offering at the altar. You go take care of that, and then you come back and take care of of worshiping me because it's going to affect how you worship me Jesus says so how are we going to to reconcile when it comes to this um, I'll give you three quick ways to do that and the first is start with prayer uh, we need to go to prayer about the conflict uh, or the situation or how we are dealing with those that are around us that we are in conflict with and I will tell you that that prayer may last a long time uh, it, it may take a whole year to be praying to see if there's any resolution or any reconciliation that takes place but I believe it starts with your own prayer Secondly, you seek God's guidance by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, not only for you to forgive them, but for you to forgive if they don't forgive you. Be because often what will happen in separation or in broken relationships, when things have happened in your life that has caused you to have that conflict, you may not get resolution from it. People may not forgive you. And you say, well, I haven't done anything wrong. The situation still may remain, but you've got to seek God's guidance, regardless of whether you did anything wrong or not. And then finally, we need to be mindful that God is in control. Too many times we try to fix the situation, and, and, yes, God calls us to be a part of that. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
going through these three things. We seek God in prayer, we seek his guidance, and we know that he's in control, and then we allow God to work through us in what he is calling us to do. And then we just have to put it in his hands. We have to put it in his hands and and have the uh, realistic view that we've tried, may not be, you know, uh, People may not forgive you, but when you have done all that you can for the situation, when you have cleared your conscience with the Holy Spirit, then God says, come back, because it's in that moment that you really can offer your sacrifice to me and you can worship me rightly and righteously. Uh, Remember... It goes back to verse 20. All of these sections as we move forward is going to go back about our righteousness before God. How are we doing? And then Jesus, he, he not only talks about, okay, if, if you get angry, take care of that. Uh, if you need reconciliation, take care of that. But, but now he says, and it's almost like, okay, Jesus, have you gone to meddling? He says, settle it before the court. <laughs> um, you've got an enemy. Maybe you ought to go walk with that enemy as you're heading to court and, and work things out before you get there. Uh, uh, maybe you need to have that conversation uh, before you get to the judge. Because if you get handed over to the judge and then the judge hands you over to the officer, you might end up spending a little bit of time in jail. Jesus says his motive here is our righteousness through him to others Ken Sandy is an author and a Christian counselor and he tells the story of <clears throat> this these four men who owned a business and um Three of them were Christian and one of them were not. And they were planning to sell uh, their business that they owned together. And they were going to uh, split the proceeds. And, um, and so the non-Christian went to his three Christian partners and said, Look, I have put more time and more effort in this business than the three of you have. And I deserve more of the profits than just 25%. And I'm standing firm. Well, they went back and forth, back and forth. They could not come to a resolution. And so they called Ken to come in as a counselor and a mediator to help them because the non-Christian had filed a lawsuit against the partners. And so he came in, and the first one that he met with was the non-Christian. And... The guy told Ken, nope, not settling. I don't care about mediation. I'm going to court. I'm going to get what I deserve. So Ken went and talked with the three Christians. And those partners, he asked the question, how much has it cost you already in not settling with your partner one guy he said pulled out a calculator and began to calculate his time and he said well just in my time I've lost five thousand dollars he said well 
if the three of you go to court with your partner, how much are you standing to pay to go to court? And one of the partners said, well, I was calculating that, and that's probably 10 to 20 times that $5,000 that was just mentioned. And so Ken said, do you think if you go and talk to your partner, if y'all could come to some resolution before you ever hit the door of the courthouse? And so they set up a meeting, and they met, and they began to negotiate among themselves. And yes, they had to give, but they didn't have to give as much as he had originally asked for. They negotiated it down, and they agreed what each of the four partners would get in the split. So Ken Sandy says two weeks later he was walking down the street, as he usually does in his morning walk, and he passed one of the, the guys, and he said, so what happened? How did it turn out? And the guy said, you know, turned out pretty terrific. He said, if I would have known this, I'd have done this much sooner. He said, all of us were affected in our relationships with our spouses, with our kids. He said, I lost sleep over this situation. He said, but once it was resolved, all of that went away. Now, this is an illustration, a story that, that worked out. Not all stories, not all situations work out. They just don't. Not the way we always would want them to. But God is still present, and God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is still with us as we face these situations that are difficult in life. They happen in the church. They happen in our families. They happen at work. And, and I would tell you that the way to help us rid that is to be committed to the good news of Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that is this. We have this voice that chirps in our ear that tells us, you're not an image bearer. You're, you're not pleasing God. You're not doing what you ought to do. You know that you really don't like that person that lives next to you or works next to you. And we have this voice of Satan, this tempter that continues to just chirp in our ear, telling us that we're not worthy and the people around us aren't as good as we are. And that you deserve this and they don't. And the only way to get rid of that voice in your ear is to be committed to the gospel. That the righteousness of Christ has been imputed upon you, is in you, and lives through you. And that you are of worth to God, or he wouldn't have called you to himself and love you the way he does. We are image bearers of Christ. And we need to be image bearers in the places that we live and we work with our families and with our friends. 
And so when that voice begins to chirp in your ear that says somebody has wronged you or somebody has done something wrong uh, to you or, or you deserve and, and you start hearing all of those things, just say, Jesus has taken care of that. Jesus has taken care of that. I think I'm going to rely on Jesus. Just get out of here, Satan. Uh, in closing, I want to give you very quickly a, um, an acrostic, acrostic uh, word. Um, I saw this this weekend, and, and I really thought that it, it helps me. Maybe it'll help you. I don't know. Um, but the word is relax. And you say, oh, you're telling me just relax, don't worry about anger or any of this? No, I hope that the word relax is going to help you remember uh, these five things. And the first, the R, is rely on God. Rely on God's power. Rely on the power of the living spirit that is in you, that is working in you, that walks with you. Rely on, on God's power to change your view of others. Rely on God's power as you walk with him and interact with others. The E, I need to engage with God. I need to talk with him. Again, that prayer life is so important as we engage with God and we listen to him and we know that he hasn't forsaken us and if we're image bearers of him, others are too. And so we engage with him so that we listen to him. You think, well, oh, that's the L. No, the L's not listen. The L is look. Look for God around you and others. You know, we can go to the mountains. We see all the glory of God. We can go to the coast and see the wonderful uh, beauty of God's creation. We can walk out of this place and see the same thing. But how often do we look at God's creation that is walking right beside of us or living in our household or in the house beside us or in our workplace? Do we really look for God around us, in the situations, in the people, if others are truly God's image bearers as we are, shouldn't we be committed to him in accepting the truth, in sharing the truth? Shouldn't we look for God around us? The A, affirming God's work in his word. Affirming the fact that the, the good news is right before us and, and the, the invitation for us is to invite others to be a part of the kingdom. And, and as we live out the gospel, this invitation of the word, of God's work, affirming that, people begin to see that we really do love, we really do care, we really do want the truth, and, and we want them to be a part of that truth of the kingdom of God. And so the invitation has to be real for us that we affirm the work of God in the world. And then the X, the X is the X factor. The X factor. And the X factor is 
what in the situation really causes you the angst or the anxiety and the anger. And I will tell you that my X factor, I was sharing this last night with someone, my X factor is the anxiety I have over broken relationships. That's where I, I have the anxiety, is that relationships are fa fractured in anger or in uh, situations that either I can't control or I can't fix or I can't go, I can't get reconciliation. I don't know what your X factor is, but my guess is that you know. And if you know what that X factor is that really pricks you and causes you the anxiety and anger, then I would ask you to give that over to God. Because that's what I have to do is give it over to God and allow God to have control of it. All of this is a factor of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. If we allow our heart to harbor anger towards others, it will pull us down. It'll pull us down spiritually, mentally, physically, every aspect of our life. It will affect our relationship with others. It will affect our relationship with our family. And so Jesus tells us, deal with it. Take care of it. Focus on me. If your righteousness doesn't surpass that of the scribes or Pharisees, Jesus says you will not be a part of the kingdom of God. And so relax. Give God control. When anger comes calling, take care of it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God that he gives us the ability and opportunity to do just that. Let's pray. Father, these verses here and beyond are about relationship. And Father, broken relationships hurt us. And especially in the church, it hurts us. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to mend those relationships where needed. Ask for forgiveness and reconciliation where needed. I pray, Father, that you would continue to lead us and let us give you control of the righteousness that you have imputed on upon us. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be your image bearers in the world. And we pray, Father, that we would do just that. Thank you. Just thank you, Father, for receiving us, sons and daughters, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. May we do so in love. And we pray this in your name.